Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Today is December 7th. Oh, I'm sorry, December. What am I thinking? January 7th, 2015. I have to get used to the fact that we're in a new year now. (laughs) We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about how you can find your way when you get lost. In other words, wayfinding. All about directional sense. Our special guest is Janet Cartman. She is a co-author of the book Directional Sense, How to Find Your Way Around. She is a skilled speaker, a writer, a coach, and the founding partner in Cartman Grant Associates. They're wayfinding consultants, and they're located in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Today, she's going to inform us with some great tips on how to find our way when we get lost. So now let me bring our guest onto the show. Hello, Jan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Denise. I'm so happy to be with you. I'd like to start the show out by asking my guest, how did you get on the path that you're on today? Well, how far back do you want to go? Um, For me, this interest in how we find our way around started on a family trip to the beach when I was only about three years old. I was very independent, even at that age, and I decided without telling anybody that it would be a good idea to go off on my own along the boardwalk. I can still see it today, lots of pretty striped cabanas, different colors all in a row. But the thing is, at least to the three-year-old me, they all looked alike. So I couldn't tell where I was, and I started to cry. A very nice woman, and I remember she was wearing a yellow bathing suit, led me back to my frantic mom, and something about that experience stuck with me. Even as a toddler, I felt the frustration of not being able to find my way. And that was the first time I got lost. So oh my gosh. This, is, this is an issue that affects everybody from little kids to seniors and everybody in between. It's not just something that able-bodied people can do or should do, that you know, school-age kids or young adults, everybody needs to be able to find their way as independently as possible. So for me, fast forward, now I'm a consultant to large organizations working to make their buildings and their sites easier to navigate. My firm, Cartman Grant Associates, works with confusing places like hospitals, museums, airports, even parking garages. And these are places that need to be more user-friendly so that Mm -hmm. visitors like you and like me and like everybody else don't get lost, aren't Mm -hmm. late, and don't end up so stressed that they don't come back. And that's that's (laughs) the importance of it to the people who own and manage these facilities. This isn't just a humanitarian issue. This is also (laughs) a marketing, a branding (laughs) issue. And so what we do is we plan what we call wayfinding systems, signs, Mm -hmm. maps, landmarks, to help people get where they're going, especially if they're what we call unfamiliar. So first-timers, people who haven't been to this particular hospital or health facility in a long time, even the three-year-old on the boardwalk like I was. 
So one day, wearing my mom hat, I drove a car full of kids and the teacher on a school field trip. And the teacher whispered to me, very embarrassed, that she herself didn't want to drive because she always had so much trouble finding her way to new places. And a little bell went off in my brain, and I thought, aha, I'll bet I can learn a lot from her. So I played very, paid very close attention. We drove a long way, and she was amazed at my ability to navigate, which I didn't think was a big deal. I had kind of sketchy directions. I made some wrong turns, but I recovered. And most, of, most incredible to her, I could reverse the route and stay the course for the 90-minute trip back to the school. But I thought everybody could do that. Clearly, I was wrong. So she was the first, and get this mm-hmm. term, directionally challenged person. <laughs> I knew of directionally challenged. There are a lot of different <laughs> words that people use to describe that, but I'm True. sure many of your listeners are either directionally challenged or know somebody or are married to somebody who is directionally challenged. These are people who really have trouble navigating, and we'll talk a lot more about that later. Um, okay. So she was the first one I, I was aware of, but I realized there had to be other people. So I interviewed her and her husband, mm-hmm. who was also directionally challenged, and started asking around. And lo and behold, I discovered many people, including some of my very own friends and relatives, who experienced this consistent difficulty and frustration finding their way around. I heard countless stories of ineffective attempts to navigate everyday places. And I knew that from what we had learned in our consulting practice and what I knew was out there um, in the literature and the research and articles, um, that there was lots of information that we could put together to help teach them how to do that. And that was the inspiration for our book, Directional Sense, How to Find Your Way Around. Ah, Wonderful story. Listeners, if you've just joined us in here a little bit late, um, we're talking with Janet R. Cartman, Ph.D. Why did you write the book outside of all that you just shared with us? Any well, other reason? There usually is. Yeah, well, I think when you're trying to understand an issue, when you're, when you're trying to, and, and it's not just understand how people navigate, but when you're trying to make it easier for people to navigate, and that is our professional mission, is to, to take something that's difficult for so many people, finding their way around, and make it easier. We typically work with organizations, with buildings, with designers. With, we design signs and maps ourselves. We deal with interior designers you know, deciding to put up artwork and how that can work as landmarks. So we typically work on the side of design decision-making. And although we are very committed to understanding what customers need and want in all the buildings and facilities we work in, still most of our work is with those decision-makers, trying to make better buildings and better signs and maps and, and all of that. So what we decided to do, another reason that we wrote this book, was to turn it around to say, okay, much as we would like to affect every directionally challenged person in the world through the buildings that we work on, we know that that's probably not going to be possible in in one lifetime. So why don't we direct a book and direct information to the people themselves? So bypass the decision makers for this book and go directly to the customers and the people who use facilities every day and the people who know they have difficulty and feel bad about it. And it has, that has all kinds of, of negative implications. So that's the reason. It was to, okay. to flip the, the usual approach we did and to go directly mm-hmm. to the people who are navigating, trying to navigate, I should say. Well, I, I read your book, and it's just excellent. What I found interesting is that you also talk about Internet and using your Internet compass that most of us don't have. So tell me more about what what you mean by Internet compass. Well, you have a chapter on born with no um, internal compass. Oh, yes. So so, um, 
what I'm saying to you is the Internet is also, you also have to do wayfinding on the Internet. Yes, to to find something that, you know, like looking for websites. Is that what you mean? Sure. I mean, yeah. you, it's, it's a navigational tool as well. I it mean, even indeed. people use it all the time just to get driving directions somewhere. Yes, yes. And this is, um, I think, the rise of digital wayfinding has been something that's very, very interesting and, and important for a number of reasons. Before we had the Internet, before we had um, MapQuest and GPS on the phones, obviously we had maps and we had directions. And if you wanted to go someplace, uh, if you're going to a, um, an appointment at a health facility, they would call you with directions or you would call them and ask directions or you would ask your spouse or you would ask your neighbor, how do I get there, where do I go? Um, and now there's all kinds of information that's available online on websites and on devices, on um, GPS and, and your phone and your iPad and, and things like that. Um, and a lot of people rely on that. And when it works well, it's very good. And when it doesn't work well, it's frustrating and difficult because people now often rely on that kind of information exclusively. And it's not always perfect. There are many ways in which it's not always perfect. Oh, um, most and, of the time it isn't, you know? Right. And if you have no backup information, you can be in real trouble. You know, if your mm-hmm. phone doesn't have a charge, if you're in a place where you can't get a signal, um, on and on and on. There, there are just many right. ways that this, is, that this information can fail you. And so I think one very important thing for, for your listeners to keep in mind is don't let that be your only source of information. Always have backup information, yes. including somebody to call. But again, if you have no signal on your phone, that doesn't do you any good. So it's very important to have written directions. It's important to have those old-fashioned things that we call maps, um, all, you know, it, Important always to have have wayfinding information in a in a variety of sources. I call it your your little toolkit um, that you that you bring along, um, so that if your GPS, if your digital wayfinding fails you for some reason, you have other options. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, that um, really um, you have to ask why do some people get lost more than others? I don't I don't know why. <laughs> well, different different people have different spatial abilities. This is something that we're, we're still learning a lot about this. We we uh-huh. know more. Scientists know more about how animals, how birds, how insects navigate than they really know about human navigation. So this is this is certainly an important area, and it's getting more and more attention. Um, all the time. But one of the things that we know is that there are differences in the brains of people who are good at navigating. The typical way that we talk about that is having a good sense of direction. Um, And people who are not so good at navigating. And, And these are the people who Tend, you know, the, the euphemism now is to say they're directionally challenged or they can't find their way out of a paper bag or there are other ways of, of putting it that they themselves say and that, and that their family members tease them about all the time. But the, the, the thing about it is that this does seem to be um, something that the, the capability is something that is with you at birth. The, the difference between somebody with um, a sense, a good sense of direction, uh-huh. um, and good directional sense depends on skills, okay. and those skills, and this is one of the major points of our book, Directional Sense, is that wayfinding skills can be learned. In mm-hmm. fact, everybody has to learn them. Babies are not born knowing their way around. People True. learn how to understand where they are, where they're going, recognize the destination, um, and 
find their way back. That, that's what wayfinding means, the ability to do that. So people learn that. Some people learn it easily. Some people learn it with difficulty. Some people never learn it. And there are reasons for all those things. But in fact, you can learn to read a map. You can learn to follow signs. You can learn how to use your GPS on your phone, et cetera, et cetera. For people who are directionally challenged, learning the steps involved in those skills may take more time and more practice than for people who have more of a natural spatial sense. And what kind of practice? Well, one of the things that that we go through in our book is to take each of those skills and um, talk about them in steps. Uh, for example, how to read a map. First of all, you want to understand where you are on the map to start with. And then the next step would be deciding on what your destination is and being able to pick out your destination on the map so that you can see literally where you're starting and where you're going. And then the next thing is to find a route between those two things. Now, this is something that you can see on Google Maps or you can see on MapQuest. If you choose the map option, you can see those things. And then you start to understand, okay, what will I pass um, on the way from where I'm going to where I am, um, to where, from where I am to where I'm going? What can okay. I expect to pass next? And, oh, yes, there it is. Okay, I guess I've gone that far. Now I can put my finger on the map again for where I am, which is different from where I started, but I'm still going to where I'm going. So it's that kind of thing. You practice understanding what the steps are and doing the steps. And what's really so exciting about that, especially for a directionally challenged person, is the aha. It's the, oh, okay, that wasn't so hard. I can do that. And it's also fun to say, to say okay, I, I can navigate. That means that I can go someplace on my own. I can go to a new place without having to go with my husband or without having to go with my friend all the time. I can do it by myself. And this is the way that people's worlds expand is being able to go to new places, be it a new health facility, a new museum, a new airport, parking in a different garage. For, for many directionally challenged people, those kinds of experiences are the sources of fear. And if you understand how to navigate and especially how to get yourself out of trouble, so in other words, if I'm learning how to follow signs, and I come across a sign that doesn't contain information with my specific destination named, I know what to do. Because, because nothing, like in life, nothing in wayfinding is perfect. No maps True. are perfect, no signs are perfect, no GPSs are perfect, no directions are perfect. So if you, ex- if you know what shortcomings to expect, and if you know how to compensate by using another wayfinding uh, cue, then the fear element goes, and and you can look upon it as something. It's it's a little bit of a challenge, but have enough confidence to know that you can learn it, you can do it, and that's just that's just a huge huge change for people who have thought all their lives that this is something they can't do. They'll never be able to do it. They're stupid because they can't do it. Everybody uh-huh. else can do it. Why can't I? I heard this time after time after time uh-huh. from the people we interviewed who are directionally challenged. And these are people who are very accomplished people in in other parts of their lives. But this is the this as one person said, this is the thing that brings me to my knees. You know, oh. this is the thing. This is my secret that I can't tell people because it's so terrible. And so that's another reason why we felt it was so important to write this book and, and mm-hmm. talk about this issue because it's, it's kind of the last taboo, you know, is not being able to, to navigate. And you can see from the wild popularity of GPS devices and online 
um, wayfinding, you know, the map quests mm-hmm. and all the digital things, that everybody has trouble. If 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 everyone knew how to find their way around, we wouldn't need those things. But True. clearly, everybody has difficulty. Some people have more it's difficulty true. than others. But this is a common problem because we live in a very, very complex society, complex with complex places and all kinds of, of paths in between that we have to navigate. I, I've noticed that at regional shopping malls, they typically have maps that will show you where you are mm-hmm. and where you know, and, and give you a sense of where you are and then how to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And um, I would think that would be a good practicing place for certain people. It would. It would. One of the things, um, again, I, I talked about shortcomings. They're always, they're always shortcomings, and you're right, that's a, that's a great thing. One of the, the, um, the issues that comes up with those kinds of maps, and we call them You Are Here maps because they show you where you are, which is a great thing, is which way the map is facing. So a map isn't a map isn't a map in that kind of situation. It has what we call orientations. So in other words, if the map has north, up, which is often how maps are, where north is up, or if the map has south, up, or east, up, or west, up, or some variation in between, um, depending on where you're standing and where you're going and what you're understanding when you look at the map, the map may be either easy to follow or more difficult to follow. So the key for those kinds of maps is that when you're looking on the, at the map, mm-hmm. um, up on the map should be forward for you. If that's the case, then it's pretty easy okay. to follow. But that's okay. not always the case. So no. if it's not the case, then it's going to be harder to follow. So that's that's one thing. And one of the um, the points that we make over and over in the book is that you shouldn't blame yourself for the shortcomings of the maps or the signs or the directions. And again, for directionally challenged people who are used to blaming themselves when they can't find their way, it's very tempting to say, I can't read this map, I'm stupid. Whereas the map may not be um, oriented in a way to be most helpful. The second thing to keep in mind is that it's one thing to look at the map and say, okay, here I am, I see the path, I see where I'm going. But if the path is at all complicated, if the distance is at all long, and if all you have is that map that you were looking at, and then once you walk away, you don't have it in front of you anymore, it may be hard to remember what the path is that you're supposed to take. So one thing in a, in a mall like that would be to look for um, some kind of printed map that you could take with you. But if there is no printed map, another thing that you can do is to take a picture of the map with your phone. And that way, you'll have the map with you. That would work for any kind of map, whether you're on a hiking trail or you're in an airport. If if you're using the map, and that's a great thing, and there's nothing that you can take with you, you know, use your use your phone as part of um, your wayfinding arsenal and take a picture of that map, and then you can follow it on your phone. Yeah, I, I often do that in these huge parking lots. Yes. Yes, that's another another place where it's very useful to do that. I th- I think that probably everyone at one point in time can't find their car in a parking lot. <laughs> that is definitely true. Uh, would you like to hear some stories about that? Yes. I have that. I have some, some good stories about that. Um, so the first story about that is about um, a parking area in an airport. And this was a woman named Juliana. She lives in Washington, D.C., but she had to pick her sister up at a less familiar airport in Baltimore, nearby but not so familiar. So she did all the usual human things. She ran late. She misjudged the rush hour traffic. 
which was terrible. She was totally frazzled by the time she arrived, even though her GPS led her correctly. And she is directionally challenged, so she was very proud to have found the airport parking garage. She parked her car. She ran to the shuttle bus. It took her to the airport, where her sister was annoyed to have been waiting for quite a while, but that's how sisters are. The sisters made their way back on the shuttle bus, then to the garage. Juliana led the way to the car, but what was missing? The car. It wasn't where she thought she'd left it. Her sister rolled her eyes at Juliana and her directional challenges, thinking, ugh, there she goes again. And after walking in circles for what seemed like hours, they threw themselves on the mercy of a garage attendant who they could find. You know, these days it's very difficult (laughs) to find a garage attendant, but they found one. And the attendant drove them around Mm -hmm. and around and around, but they still couldn't find the car. So. What was missing beside the car? Well, Juliana needed to take time to note not only where her car was, but listen to it. Here comes the big one. Which garage or parking area she was in. She (laughs) got a copy of our book, Directional Sense, as a gift, and it taught her to pay attention to and even write down which garage or parking lot, as well as the section, floor, and space where she left her car. So where was the car? Juliana was completely frustrated and furious at herself, and finally the light bulb came on, something she learned from our book. Maybe there's more than one garage here. So she asked the attendant, oh, yeah, he said, there are two, an hourly garage and a daily garage. Okay, now to to, to we mortals, that (laughs) distinction between an hourly and a daily, it doesn't even make sense, right? It doesn't. To the to the to the airport it did, so he said your car must be in the other one, which of course it was. So now <laughs> Juliana writes down the name of the garage or lot, or takes photos with her phone before mm-hmm. she leaves the car. This happened a few months ago, and she's good at finding her car now, but her sister's still mad. So you know <laughs> that that can happen. That can oh. happen. It's oh it's amazing. Gosh. And it's very it's very disturbing when that when that yeah. happens to you because you think what think is I've wrong actually, with me? Yeah, I think I've actually had dreams of that happening. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it happens it happens frequently. In fact, it happened to me yesterday. I was driving <laughs> a, a long way. I was driving along a an interstate. I I stopped at a service area. The service area was over the center of the of the. Um, expressway i noted where my car you know wayfinding expert here right noted where my car was looked at the entrance noticed all the cues along the way i noticed the tile floor i go inside i go to the restroom i come out i walk down the corridor with the tile floor i go out the same entrance and my car is gone it's gone i look around i see the signs it's all the same it's identical but no car. And my heart started pounding, and I'm thinking, who would want my old beat-up car? <laughs> you know, but no, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I couldn't believe it. And there were two guys in a truck, and I knocked on the window, and I said, did you see, <laughs> did you see someone stealing a car? And they looked at me like, lady, <laughs> what is wrong with you? And they said, no. And then nope. they drove off, and then they stopped, and they turned around, and they came back, and they rolled down the window again, and they said, which way were you going? And I, uh-huh. said, I thought, what on earth difference does that make? And I said, I was going west. They said, this is the east parking lot. Um, it never occurred to me that because that service area was in the center over the expressway, that it was used by both sides or that there would be, but you just don't think. I was tired. I was, you know, road weary. I didn't think about that. And so I went in, went down the long corridor on the other side, down the stairs, identical parking lot. There's the car. So, you know, so I think, well, what, what did I do wrong? I, I was noticing everything. I was following, you know, all the things I should do. Um, but I missed that. So, they, I, I, I could have paid better attention, clearly. Um, also, when designing a place like that, they could have designed those two corridors to look different. There could have been a different landmark in the two parking lots. 
There could have been signs along the corridor saying, you are in the west parking lot going west, you are in the east parking lot, so that people could think, okay, yeah, okay, west, yeah, when I come out, yeah, okay. Um, so it happens all the time to the best of us. Happens it really, it, yeah. it, it really does. One thing I've always done is look for some kind of landmark that you know I, I'll remember on my way back. And yeah. um, you have a good chapter in your book about this. Yes, landmarks are terrific. The, <laughs> the problem, I'll, and I'll talk about that. The problem I experienced here was um, I noticed the landmarks, but they had identical landmarks. In these two corridors, they were they were designed alike in every way, and the oh, no. alike in every way, which is of course the definition of a landmark is that it's unique. But when you are noticing things, you don't really know if something is unique or not. You just you know, I looked at the tile design, I looked at the vending machines, I looked at whatever was there that I thought was unique. Anyway, um, landmarks are terrific. Landmarks are a great um, aid in navigation. They can act as reference points. They can let you know that you're on the right track. They can indicate when you are to take an action, and they can also serve as meeting places. Um, And they're terrific because you don't need necessarily to be able to read or to speak the prevailing language to use landmark. They they are a visual cue, but they're not a verbal cue. So that can be really helpful. So there are different kinds of landmarks. There are uh, what we think of as famous landmarks, things that everybody knows, like the Empire State Building or the Eiffel Tower. Um, those, are, those are big, noticeable things that everybody knows. Um, there are local landmarks, which are things that are known to the people who live in a certain area. They would be um, unique buildings or natural features, historic sites, colleges, universities, hospitals, parks, shopping malls, restaurants, things like that, that everybody knows where the blank is. Everybody knows where the post office is. Everybody knows where City Hall is, those kinds of things. And then there are personal landmarks, and those are, again, unique features of the environment that are meaningful to you or meaningful to your family. So a place where a significant event took um, happened, or where you used to live, or where you work, or your friends' homes, or your schools, those kinds of things that are places that are important in your life, um, but are not necessarily important in somebody else's life. So those are, per- those are personal landmarks. So when you give directions or when you get directions, um, having a landmark included as part of that can be really helpful. So if somebody says, go to the post office and turn right, if you know where the post office is, that's great. That's your landmark, and then you turn right, and then you have more instructions from there. So it's a way of of recognizing um, where you are and what you should do when you get to a certain place. Um, If you go into a store, for example, if you go into a health facility, let's say, and you walk in the door and you notice that there is a um, sculpture of a uh, an animal as you go in the door. That can be your landmark, and you can say to yourself, okay, I know when I come out um, I'm going to pass this sculpture. And so if I exit the building and I don't see the sculpture, then I'm probably in the wrong place. So it's a way, it's a, it's a, it's a you to help um, you yourself. You can make you can make up your landmarks on the spot and use them. It's a way to follow directions that somebody else gives you. Um, it's a way to make sure that you and your companion are going to meet at the same place to say, let's meet at City Hall. Let's meet at this restaurant, and you both know where it is. So that's how that's how landmarks are useful. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, if I'm parking in a flat outside lot and it doesn't have any signs telling you what row you're in, mm-hmm. then I'll seek out a, a big tree 
It's at the end of that row. And remember that big tree, if there aren't any others next to it, of course. Right. <laughs> or, or a blue wall or, or something where I you know, say to myself, when I come back, I'm down the row where that big tree is. That's right. As as long as there are not other big trees, and of course exactly. that's the, that's the key. You have to pick out something. Yeah, you pick out something that's out of the ordinary. That's right. And and the other and another important thing is not is is don't do this. Say okay, I'm parked between a red car and a green car. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 no. Don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to do that. And there are lots of, of stories that people not so much doing that because obviously the cars are going to are are going to move. But people who say, you know, who who use yeah. a landmark and the place, the store is no longer there. The you know, so we we live in a fairly transient society, not only people moving but but facilities moving and changing names and that kind of thing. So to say you know, and in fact, there was an, an article that that um, that we looked at called "Turn Left at the Dog," you know, which is which is that kind of that kind of thing to say. Be careful that the landmarks that you're choosing and the landmarks that people are giving you are permanent enough to be useful while you're doing your navigating. That's the key word: permanent. <laughs> yes. Permanent enough. <laughs> Permanent enough. Uh, another thing people people do, and this is very frustrating to to people who are new to an environment, is people who are very familiar, have been there for a long time, will say, "Well, you know, it's across from where the post office used to be." <laughs> right? Where the post office used to be? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you a landmark. A landmark story, if that's okay. Oh no, it's great. Okay. So, we're talking about basically what what it's like to find your way around in this country. But think about what it would be like to find your way around in another country. So, I had a friend named Pete, who's an American Foreign Service officer, and he had just moved to the Middle East, and he was taking her da- his daughter to school for her first day. He knew the name of the school. Um, but guess what? He couldn't find directions on its website or see it on a map. So not every, you know, not every facility in the world is, is on the web or on a map. By the way, this particular area had no street signs, and worse than that, no addresses. Oh so my he gosh. figured he'd just ask along the way. So he stopped outside a cafe and asked the owner for directions to the school. No problem, he said. You just go to the pasture with the old horse, then turn left at the big tree and pass the <laughs> corner where the apartment building used to be. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. So being a real diplomat, Pete thanked the man politely, but, of course, he had no idea what to do. So what did he need? Well, Pete needed to understand about landmarks. So landmark can be a rock, a sign, a mm-hmm. tower, Anything you notice as you move in one direction and remember as you go back. So how did Pete find out about landmarks? Well, a good friend had given him, coincidentally, a copy of our book as a going-away present, and he saw it as an impact. What do you know? What he discovered was that there's a difference between famous landmarks, local landmarks, and personal landmarks. And Mm -hmm. if there are no signs or addresses, you definitely need landmarks. So the cafe owner had used local landmarks when giving him directions. So once Pete got the fine points of using landmarks, he vowed to learn the local landmarks, and now he expects directions to be given in this way. Directional sense also taught him that the directions you want and the directions you get may be two different things. But he learned to find his way around no matter which country he was in. So so we go with... Expectations. We go everywhere with expectations about mm-hmm. how, you know, have I found my way around a hospital before? Where do I think things are located in an airport? Where am I going to find, you know, or the logic of finding fiction and nonfiction in a library? Those kinds of things. We have expectations based on experience and definitely based on our culture. So mm-hmm. when we go 
to new places within our own culture or definitely when we go to places in other countries, in other cultures. Those expectations kind of go out the window and you need to realize and understand that navigation in addition to food and customs and all kinds of other things is going to be different. And Mm -hmm. what you're going to need to do in order to find your way around is going to be different too. I think that when you are lost, say you're in your car and you stop the first person you see and ask for directions, that maybe 75% of the time they're not helpful because people generally have a difficult time at the last moment thinking, oh, okay, you need to get there. Well, I think you turn left here and you go right there, that kind of thing. It almost always gets messed up. And you have no idea. That's the thing is you have no idea if this person really knows what he or she is talking about or not. Mm-hmm. But you're desperate and you're late. Um, let me. I have a story about that, too. I have a story okay. about that, too. Of course. <laughs> so this was, a guy, this was a guy named Matt. He was on a business trip meeting with clients in one of their two offices in a small city where he'd never been before. And Matt is pretty directionally challenged. But remember I talked before about how people are embarrassed about it and they kind of feel they're kind of, it kind of makes them seem stupid. He didn't want his clients to know that. He really didn't. This was something he was very embarrassed about. So he did his best to hide it. His group split up in the middle of the day and agreed to meet later in the afternoon at a different place across town. Matt had downloaded a set of online directions, but just to be sure, he asked one of his clients who lived in the area and who would know the shortcuts how to get there. And the, and the guy said, oh, just take Western. And Matt thought, okay, I'll do it. Well, you can imagine what happened. Matt took Western, but it didn't lead to any place he recognized, and he drove and drove. He frantically tried to use Siri on his phone to get directions, but Siri was no help. It was, it was her day off, I think. By this point, his online directions weren't useful anymore either because he was starting from a different place than the, than the online directions had started. Soon he found himself barreling down the interstate on the way to nowhere. He was sweating and panicky at the thought of being lost and late and losing faith with his clients. So how did he get out of this mess? Matt mm-hmm. needed to know how to ask for and follow useful directions. So here's what he did. He pulled over and he remembered um, that directions can be given in such an offhand, shorthand way um, that they're not helpful, which is what you were saying, Denise. So he tried to calm himself and start over. He noticed that the intersection where he was and which way he was facing because he had a compass app on his phone. He phoned the office. He had the the phone number. He didn't identify himself, but he casually asked, how do I get there from here? So he could tell them where he was. Uh They told Uh him, and fortunately, he wasn't that far away. Also, fortunately, they gave detailed directions, and he made it to the meeting just in time. So as he walked in, one of his clients said, hey, Matt, you didn't get lost or anything, did you? And everybody laughed, of course, because this is a big joke. Wayfinding is always a big joke, right, until you get lost. Mm-hmm. Nah, he replied. Um, next time he promised himself he'd just rely on one good set of directions and not second-guess them. And I think that's that's important, too. I think when you're unsure of yourself, if you're directionally challenged, you just – you know, you just don't think that you could possibly know what you're doing, so you ask other people, and and it's just not necessarily going to be helpful. You um, you have a chapter on um, deciphering wayfinding words and yes. numbers. Yes. Can you tell our listeners a little bit what you mean by that? Yes. Um, I think when when people think about wayfinding, often the first thing that comes to mind is signs. And people think, well, you know, if you have signs, everything is fine, right? Assuming that signs are going to be exactly where you need them, offer information that you're looking for, 
use wording and numbering that you can understand and lead you all the way from the place you're starting to your destination. But because all wayfinding cues have shortcomings, this is obviously not the case. So the issue with words or with with terminology um, is that they can be useful and helpful or the opposite. So words that are useful identify things, identify users, identify routes, destinations, they make sense to you, okay, not just to the people who are putting the information up there, but but to you, the person using it. They're consistent, so the same term, the same word is going to be used every time it um, on on every sign. They are accurate. They're easy to read, and they use unique place names. So um, those are the useful things. When they're not so useful, the words um, on signs would be ambiguous. You can't tell what they are, inconsistent, imprecise, unintelligible, non-unique, hard to read or say, obsolete, or misleading. So you can see there are a lot of ways to go (laughs) with with terminology, and I'm sure that you've experienced um, this yourself, right, where you're yeah, looking any, at a sign. Any number of them. Yeah, and you think, what on earth does that mean? And I think in health facilities, this is a particular problem because health facilities tend to use technical terminology that is familiar to medical personnel and not so familiar to um, the you know everyday person who yeah the lay person the lay person who goes through there. In addition, many um, medical facilities use acronyms, abbreviations, which make it make it even worse. So, um, are you going to you know where's your where's your appointment today? Oh, it's an otorhinolaryngology. Really. You know, can you say that three times fast? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Or it's in the, you know, the NICU or the PICU. No, it's in the PICU. The what? You know, I'm going to the PICU? What? It's it's lots of terminology that um, has to be interpreted often to be intelligible. And that's if you speak and write English. And if you speak other languages and signs are not in other languages, then it becomes complex and confusing. If you um, have functional limitations with your vision, if you have functional limitations with your hearing, et cetera, et cetera. There are just all kinds of uh, differences that we human beings have. We we come not in one size fits all. We come in many sizes with many needs <laughs> and you know, many different kinds of understanding and wayfinding cues need to be able to to speak to all of us and and often Uh. don't. And wording is one way. And numbers are another issue. Numbers have to do with um, numbering floors, numbering rooms, numbering buildings, so addresses and floor numbering, room numbering. Um, And these can be confusing too. They're useful when they um, are consistent, when they're unique, when they're consecutive, um, and when they're in patterns that are conventional to us. When they're con- they become confusing, when the opposite occurs, when they're when they don't seem logical, when they don't seem consistent, when they are non-unique, meaning that they're two two buildings that have the same address, um, or when they're missing when there's a room that doesn't have a room number on it and you can't figure out what it is. So those are ways that... Yeah, yeah, it's just a wonder that any of us find our way. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's a wonder. No, you're right. You're right. It is a wonder. It is a wonder. But it it can be done. And and one of the the important things, in addition to, to going through all these steps and to understanding all this, is to keep a sense of humor about it because they're really... You know, as long as this is not a life and death situation, and sometimes it is, and that's not funny. But some of the some of the things that you find um, as you go about uh, finding your way are, 
you know, are funny. And it's, it's helpful to, to keep some perspective and definitely to keep a sense of humor. Well, Janet Cartman, it's just been wonderful having you on as our guest. I've really learned a lot, and I've really enjoyed our our time together. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can purchase your book and how they can contact you, because we're running out of time. Okay. Well, first of all, let me let me thank you um, so much for having me as a guest on, on your show, Denise. I enjoyed it very much. Um, Directional Sense, How to Find Your Way Around is available on Amazon and on our book website, directionalsense.com. We also have a Facebook page, which is called Directional Sense. And um, if anybody wants to contact me, I'm available uh, for consulting, for speaking in- engagements, for coaching. Um, my email address is jcarpman, J-C-A-R-P, like Peter, M-A-N, at wayfinding. Dot com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on our show, Janet. Really Thank appreciate you, your time. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. All right, listeners, um, please tune in again next Wednesday. We have another great show lined up for you. And get a copy of Janet's book because we're all at one time or another directionally challenged. (laughs) Take care. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?